Thank you, Matt. Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. Good to be here. Coleman and I actually go way back. I was thinking, Coleman, we've probably been friends longer than Colin and my youth pastor David have been alive. Um, so that it goes way back. But honestly, uh, my wife and I both were at Pensacola and at that time period. And we, um, in 2005, God gave us our first child, our baby girl, Cammie. And Cammie's now a freshman at Pensacola. Hard to believe uh, she, she made the statement the other day. She's like, dad, I don't like all these classes. She's not taking any classes, but dad, I don't like all these classes. And I said, why? She's like, cause it's killing my social life. And I'm like, honey, you're, I'm not paying all this money for you to be social. I'm paying all this money for you to study. But then in 2007, we had a son on the way and I was like, what are we going to name our son? We had a cami and my wife's like, I know what we're going to name our son. We're going to name him Coleman. And actually after Coleman, and so my first son is Coleman, and he is 16 and a junior uh, in high school. And so hopefully one day, you know, you guys can meet, and he can blame you for everybody that meets him and says, oh, you mean like the stove? Yes, like, <laughs> like the stove. You know, church, is I'm here. I'm privileged to be here, and I'm here because of, of Matt and Coleman and just my heart and love them. I love you and just thankful for this church and thankful for who you are. And in life, God takes us sometimes through things that we just don't understand. How many of you have been there and you don't understand? I was thinking and meditating on this this morning, and I thought, you know, we're not alone. Do you remember Jesus when he was on the cross? Eli, Eli, Lamai, Sebastian, I. And what is Jesus saying? My God, my God. What's the next word? Why? So even Jesus on the cross looks up and asks, why? And sometimes we, we look around and we ask why. Why is this happening? Why are we going through this? Why, why is this taking place? As Coleman said, I was an assistant pastor. I had no desire to be an assistant pastor. I didn't want to be an assistant pastor from the get-go. I was pastoral ministries. I, I wanted to be the man. And God said, you will be, but it will be 16 years from now. And so for 16 years, I, I served 10 years in Ohio, 11 years in Ohio, three years in Greensboro, North Carolina. And then when I was there in Greensboro, I got a phone call from Morgantown, West Virginia. And the pastor there was my wife's pastor. She was born in that church, called and, and said, hey, I'm 77 years old. He started the church in his living room. And the church was 47 years old. And he said, God's just laid on my heart. You're the guy to take over. And I'm thinking, God hasn't laid that on my heart. Um, I did not have any interest in West Virginia, and I definitely didn't have any interest in Morgantown. And I was praying, though, and I knew God was leading us somewhere, and I just didn't know where. And my prayer was, God, just put us where we're needed, where this family is needed. And long story short, we found out later, he didn't tell me, but one of Carrie's friends that were still, was still in the church called us and told us, and they had no, none of the church knew he was talking to me that he was diagnosed with cancer, colon cancer. And that was my answer. They need us. He'd been there 47 years. Who's going to come in and take over after all of that? Only, you know, we could because we knew the church and we knew the people. And so we packed up and moved to Morgantown, West Virginia, and was there uh, two years kind of working together. And then in May of 2016, I became the second pastor of Faith Baptist Church. And then the next year we celebrated the 50th anniversary. 
And when we went and I became the pastor in 2016, I told my kids, look, guys, I love vacation and I want to go out on a vacation, but this church needs to see me and only me behind the pulpit. They were seven. Candace was seven. The boys were eight, nine, Caden Coleman, and then Cammie was 12, nine, 10, 11, 11. So just give me a year, a year in the pulpit. I've got to preach every Sunday school, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I want them to see me and get to know me. And so I did that for a solid year. And in that year, the, the Lord blessed, things were good. And then it went from May to June to July to August. And I'm still the only one preaching and no vacation, no downtime, no anything. And just going, 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 going. And in, in, in the midst of 2017, I'm also training for a marathon, uh, the Morgantown Marathon. It was always on a Sunday, which made it kind of hard with my profession to run. But they moved it to Saturday in 2017, and I was so excited because, man, I get to run a marathon in my hometown, and, you know, 26 miles. And I started training with the man who won it the year prior, and we were training for me to be top 10 finisher in this marathon. And so that's all going on in the summer of 2017, and, and we get into the fall, and we're just going through things, and it's September. It was September 13th, I'll never forget the day, 2017, and we're getting up and going to school, and, and I'm working in a, a local hospital, in a, and it's called the IRB, it's a, a research, so they have nine scientists, and I'm the... I'm the ethics director of this board. So if there's a new trial coming out or a new medicine coming out, the scientists debate it, and then I've got to pull in the ethics behind it and approve it from the ethical representative of our community. And I had a meeting that morning with them. And, and so we're on our way to school, and from the back seat, we hear our then seven-year-old say, um, I don't have any shoes on. We're like, what? And she's like, I'm not wearing shoes. Now, granted, it is West Virginia, but we, we still wear shoes to school. Uh, and I'm like, how did you forget your shoes? And we, we just moved, and we'd never had a garage. And, you know, she just went right from the house into the car in the garage and didn't think about putting her shoes on. I'm like, honey, I, I, I don't have time to go home and get your shoes. Uh, I got meetings all morning. When my meetings are over, I'll go home, and I'll get your shoes, and I'll bring them to school. And, and so we drop her off. I go to my meetings at the hospital. I go home. And I remember as, as I got home, I, I checked the mail, went up into the driveway, and we had three steps going up, three steps going up, then a split-level home. And I got to the top of the, the stairwell, and I'm like, man, I am tired. What is my problem? I just wore me out coming up the steps. And, I, I mean, I'm running 20 miles every Saturday. And, and so I sat down on the couch, and I just kind of sat there until I caught my breath and started to feel a little better and, and got her shoes, looked at the mail, and then, then went on to work. And Wednesday nights, we have a Christian school, and it's just crazy. We don't go home on Wednesday nights. And, and so we, we went out to eat, got back to the church. I'm discipling a couple that just got saved. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm discipling them. And as I'm talking to them at my office, all of a sudden, everything started to spin. Like, man, this is weird. And, and as it started to spin, I just felt everything from about here down go numb. And my hands, which were on my desk, you can see I used my hands, they just, they just kind of fell at my side. I'm like, okay, something's not right. And so I told them, hey, look, we've got to kind of stop now and, and be dismissed. And it's about a quarter till seven, about 15 minutes before Bible study. I go out in the lobby. I, I tell Carrie, I'm like, look, I am sick. 
I'm going to be in the bathroom until church starts. And she's like, I told you not to eat all that Chinese food. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know if it's a Chinese or not, but I'll be in the bathroom. And, and I go back into my office, and I'm in my office. I just feel like a 50-cent piece is stuck right here. And so standing in my office, I'm, I'm, I'm a, away from the door so no one can see me. I've got a full glass door for transparency. And I'm standing to the side of it, and I'm just beating my chest. And I'm, I'm going up, and I'm slamming up against the wall, trying to get whatever is in there unlodged, and it's not budging. I lean over the chair, and I'm, I'm hitting myself over my office chair, nothing. I go into the bathroom. I do throw up. It doesn't help. And by now, my wife's starting to get worried, and she sends um, one of the deacons in to check on me. And I'm on the floor without a shirt on, sweat pouring off of me, and like something's wrong. And so they go get another one of the deacons who's a doctor. He comes in, and, and so my wife and, and a doctor, a deacon, and a deacon are looking at me as I'm laying on that bathroom floor, sweat coming off of me, and they're all going, it's, it's got to be indigestion. It can't be anything else. You're running a marathon in 10 days. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And, and so they, they kind of get me up out of there. They, they take me out. They say, we'll get you down to urgent care right away. And so, so I'm walking, I'm bent over, I, I get up to the car, my wife's like, I got to go into the church and get my purse where the keys are, I'll be right back. I didn't even have the energy to stand. I laid down in the church parking lot in the fetal position. She came out with the keys, the doctor helped me in the car, and, and we get down, we, we come in the back door because he, he runs that urgent care, we come in the back door of the urgent care, I see a, a bed there, I just fall into the bed because I have no energy to stand. By this time, my left arm is in excruciating pain. And it's, it's so bad. I can't even, I'm not even thinking about this. I'm just screaming. Ah, oh, it, just, it just felt like it was in a vice grip. And so my arm, my arm, so I, I'm yelling in pain. I'm on this hospital bed. They, they bring the EKG machine in. They bring morphine in. Um, and, and they give me a morphine shot. They put the EKGs on. They don't tell me what's going on. They really don't tell my wife what's going on. So finally, my wife's like, what is going on? And our, the deacon of our church looks at her and says, you know, your husband's having a heart attack. Treg's having a heart attack. And, and she's like, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, if I were you, I would call an ambulance. She's like, well, call one. He's like, I already did. And he's sending my EKGs to the hospital, uh, WVU Hospital. And they just finished a cardiac floor, uh, actually a whole wing. And the ambulance gets there. Still, no one's telling me anything. And I'm, I'm on the bed. I'm lying there. The, the morphine had kicked in, so the left arm pain had gone away where I felt this pressure here. It's a four-mile drive from urgent care to the hospital, and we take off, and they leave the siren on. And I told the kid beside me, I said, hey, the siren's on. He's like, yeah. I said, why is the siren on? He's like, because you're dying. And he said, you're getting worse every second. And at this time, I'm, I'm just trying to stay awake. I, my body's done. I, I'm wanting to fall asleep. And, and I'm thinking, just get to the Coliseum and, and then get to Kroger. And you're going to see Chick-fil-A. And just trying to keep my mind going so I can stay awake because I just wanted to fall asleep. I was just dying. They, they, they wheel me into the emergency room, and there's about 20 doctors and nurses in a corner yelling, bring them here, bring them here, bring them here. And, and they wheel me down. They take me off the bed. They throw me on that bed. Obviously, they, they rip off my shirt. And they put two pads right here on my chest. And there's a doctor standing over me with the paddles. He said, your left ventricle is 100% blocked. You're going to die any second. And I've got to be ready to bring you back. 
And they put another doctor at my feet, and he says, I'm watching your eyes. And as soon as those eyes close, we're going to be ready to bring you back. And then there was another doctor here, a phone in one hand and a phone in this hand. And he's calling the cath lab, are you ready, are you ready, are you ready? And he's like, I'm going to call every 30 seconds until you're ready. And if you open up between then, call me on this phone. And so all this is going on. My wife is standing beside me. Obviously, she's crying. I'm 39 years old. As I'm lying there, a lot of things are going through my mind. And I, I look at Carrie, and I'm like, should I call the kids? Should I tell them goodbye? And I, I decided no, because I didn't need any more emotion on me in the midst of that. The doctors come. They get my wife. They take her away. And I'm there. I'm by myself. And I think this is it. You know, I'm going to die. And, and the doctor finally comes down, gets me. He's the one that does the heart cast. And he said, you know, I've never delivered a patient to my own lab before in my life, but I can't let you out of my sight. And he comes down, gets me, and the doctor's here. My wife's now here. And we're, we're going up. They, they th- bring me in the cath lab. They throw me on the table. Um, go, they go in my right arm. And it took them an hour and a half to find the blockage because uh, my vent is very strange and how it, how it splits. Uh, they opened me up. I remember I'm laying there. I'm awake. I'm lying on the hospital bed or on the table, just the table, no bed. And, and I feel this pressure. And I'm like, doctor, something's wrong. It's, it's, it hurts worse now than it ever has. He's like, that's because I've got a balloon. He said, give me a second. And they put that balloon in. They put that stent in. They let that go. And poof, I have blood flow. I'm like, doctor, I can run again. He's like, hold on, not yet. Uh, they knock me out and check everything else out, go out and tell the family, and, and I wake up in ICU. And I remember uh, being there in, in all these thoughts, you know, going through your mind, and, and somebody encouraged me to write everything down and write a bucket list of everything, you know, you, you wish you would have done that you haven't done and on my list was, you know, vacation, obviously. And about three weeks after that, we went to Myrtle Beach. Um, I let my kids get a cat. <laughs> uh, we bought a camper. Let's see. I bought a Ford Explorer. Um, everything but the vacation was stupid. And, and I sold the cat and the car and the camper. Um, you know, but after that, I was in a valley. My whole life had been activity. My whole life since I can remember, I have been a runner. I was a state a junior Olympian um, in running. I, I, after Carrie and I were married, I got into competitive triathlons where I'm swimming, biking, running. I'm running marathons. It's just who I am. And in some ways, it became my identity. And it, and it became, you know, me. And that's what I did. And, and now I step back and God took that away. Like God, why? You know, why have you done this to me? You know, what, what have I done to you, God? And here I am, you know, giving up everything to serve you. And I'm living in West Virginia of all places to serve you and fulfill your calling and, and, and do what you've called me to do. And, and, and now this? And sometimes God's got to take us, make us, and then break us to be who we need to be. And God was not only breaking me, God was breaking Faith Baptist Church through me. And and God had a plan and God had a purpose in all of that. And I want you to take your Bibles this morning and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, if you will, 
tells a similar story. Nowhere is Paul's heart so torn, and nowhere do we see such a biographical, autobiographical sketch exposing someone like Paul exposes himself here. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, Paul starts out kind of with a, a typical Jewish prayer of praise. Uh, we, we do the same, you know, hey, I, you know, I'm good, I'm good, everything's good. Really? Not really. And Paul's like, it's good, God is good. And then he takes a drastic turn and he dives right into this description of the despair that he finds himself in. And we'll start reading in verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are also in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings. Now, wait a second. Paul is the one that's suffering, but he knows we must all go through this. As you are partakers of these sufferings, so shall you also be of the consolation or comfort. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of the trouble which came to us in Asia. We were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We were hanging on just by a thread. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us again. You also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of any persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Father God, I pray that you will speak to us through your word as we look at this all-important subject of suffering. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Paul is talking, and, and he gives first this description of Christ. He's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And, and as Paul is, is talking again, he, he makes the turn, and if you will, you have it on the screen here, he keeps it real. And this morning, if you will give me permission, I just want to keep it real. And, and just to be transparent, I, I'm not ever, from everything I've gone through, it's easier for me to keep it real. Um, people ask, how are you? I'm having a bad week. On top of my heart attack, I don't have the time for the story, but a year later, um, I am on a vacation with my family at Great Wolf Lodge, and I realize something is not right. I let it go, I let it go, I let it go to a point where I can't even walk. I finally go to the ER. They, they do some scans, and they're taking me into emergency surgery as through, um, we find out I have severe Crohn's. My colon had a, a major infection, and my, everything was infected. And for four months, uh, I was in bed. I couldn't get out of bed. And it's just, it was quite a journey. So as God takes you through all that, one, you lose all dignity as you go through those surgeries and, and face Crohn's disease. But two, just, just being real with you about through all of this. And as we look at it, as Paul is, is here and, and he's being real with us. And Paul tells us this, and I will have to agree, suffering stinks. It does. It's no fun. Going through these times are difficult. 
waking up in the morning and not knowing what lies ahead. I remember going to bed at night as I'm battling this Crohn's disease and battling this infection and just praying, God, there's sorrow in the night, but joy in the morning. Please, please allow tomorrow morning to be joy. God, please allow tomorrow morning to be joy. God, please get me through the book of Job and allow me to find chapter 42 tomorrow. And, and it was daily. And you know, some of you know what that is. And is this ever going to end? Is there hope? Is, is there anything out there? And then Paul, as he writes this, he says, yes, there, there is. And so two questions I, I want to answer, and I'll be quick this morning as we look at them. You know, the, the first question is this, where is this coming from? And the second question I would like to answer this morning is why? Where, where does this suffering come from? And when we look at suffering, we, we usually divide it up into either two categories from whence it comes. And, and one is circumstances. And the next slide, guys, if you can hit that for me. And the next one is Satan, right? And, and we look at that, and it's like the circumstances in, in between Satan and everything is pointed right at me. And we can say, yeah, circumstances. It, it just so happens by way of a circumstance that, you know, China develops this disease, and it just so happens to get America. Circumstances with COVID. It's just circumstances that my car has broken down. It's, it's circumstances that this hurricane has hit. It's circumstances that we had to face SIDS. It's circumstances that I broke my leg. It's circumstances that missionaries um, been captured and held for ransom. Or is it Satan? I tell the church all the time, of course, we're West Virginia. We, we kind of are on, the, we're on a hill, but on the bottom of a hill, and behind us are apartments you know, where David lives. And I said, I do not feel like that Satan is standing on that hill. You know, we talk about the fiery darts and the arrows. I said, that old boy's got a machine gun. And, and he is just putting missiles on our church continually, just ching, 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 ching. And that's what I feel like. And, and could all of this not be circumstances that it's just a circumstance and that nobody could explain the day after my heart attack, doctors, four doctors after doctor after doctors coming in. And I call my nurse. I'm like, who are these doctors? I've never seen these guys before. And I know they didn't help me last night. And she's like, no one can believe someone survived four hours with the widow maker. And they all want to meet the guy that did. And they came in and shake my hand and say, man, you were just in the right place at the right time. Or man, you were so lucky. Or, man, running saved your life. And they're all taking the circumstances of me. They said that blockage had probably been there since I was eight years old, and it just happened to break loose. And, and it was bad luck. It was circumstances. Or, or could it be Satan? You look at the book of Job, those physical ailments and illnesses that he went through, man, they're from the devil, right? And, and Satan's running to and fro, and, and, and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. It's the devil. Paul, chapter 12, what's he say in 2 Corinthians? There was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And, and so, so we look and say, man, Satan is attacking me. Satan's coming after me, and oh, I'm under the oppression of the devil. But here's the thing, church. Even if it was Satan or even if it is circumstances, no matter what, nothing gets to me without going through God first. 
And, and so if it is Satan, and Satan's like, I'm taking Treg out, it goes through God. If it's circumstances that, that causes this, this clot to come loose, it goes through God. Because God is orchestrating all of this for my good and his glory. And you can rest assured that no matter what is going on and no matter what you're facing and no matter what the circumstances are, we can say, but God. Because it's all going through him. Nothing gets me before it first goes through the throne of grace. And so I can rest in the fact that, okay, where does this suffering come from? Circumstances, Satan, it doesn't matter because I know it comes from God. But then that brings us to a greater question, right? Why, God? If, if this is coming from you, why? Why are you letting this happen? Well, Paul answers that question right here in this text this morning. As you look at our text, you look at verse 3, the God of all, what's the next word? Comfort. Who what? Comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to, what's the next word? Comfort. Them which are in any trouble by the, what's the next word? Comfort. Wherewith we ourselves are, what's the next word? Comfort for God. Okay, for as these sufferings or, or the trouble that comes, right? So for as the sufferings of Christ abound us, so our consolation is the exact same word in the original, comfort. And in, in so in our consolation, in our comfort, we read on, or whether we be comforted is for your comfort and salvation. And we, we go on in, in the suffering, so you shall be also comforted. I mean, Paul is making a point. Why are we going through all this? Why is God allowing us to go through this so we can experience the comfort of God? So we can draw close to God and experience the peace in the midst of the storm. That in the difficulties and no matter what we are facing, God gives a peace that, that passes all understanding. And so when the world is on the outside looking in and saying, Euphula, how are you keeping it together? We don't know, but God... God has comforted us. God has given us that peace. It's, the word comfort is, is the, in the, the original language, parakletos, which is our word for spirit. The Holy Spirit is our parakletos, our paraclete. And, and so we look at that comfort. That comfort comes from the spirit. That comfort comes by the person of Christ who is within us. He is the one that gives us peace. He is the one that gives us peace power. I'm not going to have you raise your hands because we'd probably all be guilty of sitting in a chair, lying in a bed, laying on a couch, maybe on the floor, and say, God, I can't handle one more thing. I was talking to a pastor this week I just met, and their church had gone through Death after death after death after death. I forget how many funerals in two weeks. And he met with the pastors on Saturday morning, and he said, men, I don't think our church can survive one more death. And he said, little did I know my 23-year-old had just died. And it's when we find ourselves like Paul, pressed out of measure, just barely holding on to life, thinking I can't handle one more thing, and God says, through the power of the Spirit of God, you're going to have comfort. And yes, you can. Yes, you can. So the Spirit brings us peace in this comfort. Number two, it's the Scriptures. The Word of God gives us comfort. I love this story in the Bible 
with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is taken. Now, remember, there's no prophet like John the Baptist. He's the greatest that, that have ever walked on the face of the earth. And, and now he's in prison. And, and he sends his disciples out, and, and they sends them out, and, and you see it in Matthew 11, and, and they say, go and ask Jesus if he's really the son of God. Go and ask Jesus if it's really him. And so the disciples come, and they say, hey, are you really Jesus? John the Baptist wants to know. Well, John the Baptist knows, but he's down. He's discouraged. If you are the son of God, why am I in this prison? And Jesus doesn't say, tell John this or tell John that. Or you tell John, don't you remember when we were kids? No. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them who are bound. Huh? <laughs> That's a convert to John the Baptist? Isaiah 61.1, for real? For real. Because it's the scriptures. And Jesus was saying, John, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 61.1, and you know that. As I was lying in the hospital bed, and the doctor took Carrie away, and I'm there, and I'm, I'm just thinking, man, what's going to happen? And I can see her going around the curtain and going up as the doctors were sitting down with her to tell her that, look, your husband's going to die. And... All these doubts, God, why, God, why, God, why? And the, and the Spirit of God took the scriptures and said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? If you die, I've got your kids and I've got your wife. If you live, I got this as well. And immediately a peace came over me that's unexplainable. And I knew if I live or I die, it's going to be okay. And that was the Spirit of God through the Scriptures giving me the peace of God that only he could give. And so why? Well, one, so we can experience the comfort of God. Why? Number two, because God wants us to take this and use it for others, right? And I, and I use the word here, if you see it on the screen, community. He says, if we be afflicted, okay, look at verse 8. If we are afflicted, it is for who? It's for you. And I remember thinking, God, let it be somebody else. I don't want to be the one to comfort. I don't want to be the one that encourages others, right? I don't want to have to be the one that goes through cancer so I can help other people go through cancer. I don't want to be the one that loses a child so I can help other people who lose a child. I don't want to be the one that goes through this in, in, so I can comfort other churches that go through I don't want to be that one, and God says, but you are. I remember probably four years after my heart attack, we had a young man in our Christian school, uh, father, uh, same thing, heart attack. And he's lying in the hospital bed, and he's not a part of our church, but because of the situation, I walk in, and he sits up in his bed, and he looks at his sister, and he looks at me, and he says, now there is a man that understands. Just two months ago, a 47-year-old died in his home, fit, strong, hunter. Take him to the ER. They bring him back to life. I give it a couple days because personally, stomach-wise, I couldn't handle seeing him. It was just PTSD. Finally, I got the guts to go up. He's a good friend. Uh, attends another church, but I went up. I walk into that hospital room. No words are said. 
and he just starts crying. And I just give him a hug. I put my head on his head, and I pray with him. That's all I had to do. Because God, in taking us through what God took us through, he is our comfort. He takes us through this for community, and God takes us through this for confidence, to know this is the direction that we are going. Church, let me just ask you the question this morning. Are you truly being real? You know, during the minute and a half, we got to shake hands. We know how to smile. We know how to shake the hand. We know how to look somebody in the eye. It's all good, but is it really good? Is God taking you through something right now that it's dark, it's dreary, it's hard? Maybe it's something you just need to give to God. Maybe it's something you just need to get on your knees before God and commit it to him. Maybe you need to ask God forgiveness for questioning him and knowing in in the purpose and seeing the purpose God has. I don't know. I don't know what God has for you this morning. But what I do know is that he's allowed this to happen to you. Are you willing to submit that to him and understand it's for our good and his glory? With heads bowed and eyes closed.